You are listening to Explore by the Cycling Podcast. <laughs> well, it's it's Bank Holiday Monday, the day after the Giro d'Italia has finished. I'm out for a little coffee ride with my friend Andy, who regular listeners to Explore will know was the genius, the Henri de Grange of the 12 Hills of Christmas ride. And as we were just coming out of Not Watford... I thought, I recognise that jersey up ahead. And as we got closer, sure enough, it is someone wearing the Cycling Podcast map jersey. I mean, you can't miss it. It's such a distinctive design. And so I pulled alongside and said hello. And hello. Hi, my name's Charles Berger. I live in Maidenhead. And uh, I bumped into Lionel this morning while I was uh, doing uh, a training ride for uh, Chaser Sun North uh, later this year. I... Uh, planned a route based around the 12 Hills of Christmas, uh, heading out from Maidenhead and then back through the Chilterns. I think the 12 Hills of Christmas has got a very expensive entry fee, Andy. Do you want to collect that now? <laughs> no, the roads are free. That's the beauty of cycling, isn't it? Tell me a bit about Chaser Sunset. Um, so it's a... Um, well, there's four different versions of it. There's the UK South, UK North, Ireland and Italy. I'm doing the UK North version, which starts in Whitley Bay um, and travels up to Ayr on the west coast of Scotland. Uh, you set off at sunrise, so about 4.30am on the 24th of June, um, and uh, 205 miles later and about 3,200 metres of climbing, you uh, hopefully arrive in Ayr before sunset. Just in time for fish and chips or something on the seafront there. Glorious. That would be fantastic. Sunset ride into air. We did that on the Tour de Cosse, of course, riding into air. Really nice town. Very nice town. All the golf courses around there as well. Uh, do you know that part of the country at all from Whitley across? Not really. Um, I, do, I am from Dundee uh, in Scotland, so sort of vaguely near my stamping ground, but uh, not so much. Oh, I very much enjoyed Dundee as well with the new V&A down, yeah, down on the waterfront. Yeah, really nice. So you're riding back to Maidenhead today via the 12 Hills of Christmas, is that the plan? Yes. So uh, I left home about 7 this morning and uh, hoping to get back sort of mid, mid to late afternoon. Lovely. Well, we won't hold you up any longer. I, I think you'll be going down this way and we'll probably be sitting on your wheel for a little while up the, up like the other side. On your wheel if that's OK. <laughs> that's absolutely fine. We'll, we'll give you a lead out into... What's the next hill here, Andy? Uh, well, we're just about to go down Pedley Hill and then hit the Leighton Buzzard Road and straight up to Hudnall. Yeah, we're doing the two coffees of Monday morning ride. Very yeah. popular ride, very popular ride around here. Uh, but yeah, we'll give you a lead out. Lovely to meet you and looking fantastic in the jersey. Good luck for the ride as well. Thank you. So I think after 74k so far, I'm just about ready for my first coffee stuff as well. My name is Lionel Burney and this is an episode of Explore by The Cycling Podcast and that was me out on the roads of Hertfordshire meeting friend of the podcast Charles Berger quite by chance. By the time he got back to Maidenhead Charles had ridden 200 kilometres with more than 2,500 metres of climbing. Quite some day out when you consider he incorporated the 12 Hills of Christmas route into his ride. If you're listening it was lovely to meet you Charles and good luck for the Chase the Sun ride towards the end of June. Now, for this episode of Explore, I headed to Bath in the southwest of England on the Giro d'Italia's second rest day to meet two of the voices of cycling, Eurosport GCN commentary box duo Rob Hatch and Sean Kelly. 
Rob's a familiar voice on the cycling podcast, of course, and not just because of his TV commentary. He also used to share a house in London and in Mallorca too, I think, with Daniel Freiber, the self-styled home of cycling, they called it. Sean Kelly needs no introduction. He won the Vuelta a España, four green jerseys at the Tour de France, Milan-San Remo, Paris-Roubaix, Liège-Baston-Liège, the Tour of Lombardy, a record seven editions of Paris-Nice all in a row, and he was world number one for most of the 1980s. The list goes on. And for the past 25 years, he's been a co-commentator, starting out with David Duffield, and now he's regularly alongside Rob and Carlton Kirby for the three Grand Tours. Some listeners might know that I worked with Sean on his autobiography, Hunger, which came out 10 years ago. Back in 2011, I spent a couple of weeks in Paris during the Giro while he was commentating on the race from Eurosport's Paris studios. I interviewed Sean for the book in the evenings and we got into a routine of going for a morning ride at Longchamp, a circuit a bit like London's Richmond Park near the racecourse and the Bois de Boulogne in the west of the city. Anyway, I'd not seen Sean face to face since well before lockdown, and I'd not been for a bike ride with Rob since the Trainer Road Challenge back in 2016, when Rob, Richard and I spent months training for a four kilometre individual pursuit on the track in Manchester. Rob wouldn't forgive me if I didn't point out that he won. While working together at the Grand Tours, Rob and Sean try to go for a bike ride together as often as they can, and I invited myself along for their rest day ride. It was a lot of fun, although we didn't spend as much time talking about cycling as I'd intended. One day I'll sit down with Sean and get him to tell some of his stories for an episode of the podcast, but for now this is more of a catch-up with a couple of friends on two wheels. It was a ride between two of South West England's great cities, and one that took a slightly surreal diversion. I need leg warmers. Yeah, I think you do. I've been needing them since I left Spain. I've been cold for the last week and a half. <laughs> I think this is the warmest day of the year so far. Must be 20. It must be 20. It's on the border between leg warmers and shorts, isn't it? Um, I want to have code legs. Never mind. Never mind. Doesn't Sean have a rule about leg and arm warmers that don't come off until... What was it? What's the temperature? Maybe he'll... Well, he's on his way, is he? I think... Let's have a bet. I think he'll be in leg warmers. Yeah. I think he'll be in leg Will he be in his old cast kit <laughs> from the late eighties? No, he's got his own. He's got his own kit nowadays. Sean Kelly, isn't he? <laughs> Are we going to have a coffee before we go? I think so. Yes, I need all the caffeine, even for a coffee ride. Yeah, yeah. Oh, glorious, though, isn't it? This? Beautiful. A little bit of wind about, but as long as I'm on the wheel, I'll be all right. Well, I'm hoping to be on the wheel. So I was thinking you two would be at the front. It's your day off. Nestle in. <laughs> your, it is your off. day off. Yeah, it's your day off. We need to be protected for the final week. We've got my yellows to fight for. <laughs> we just had a bet. I said you'd be in leg warmers. Whoa. 
That's yeah, I'm surprised. It must be warmer than I thought. Good forecast, maybe. Final week, getting ready. You've been ready, waiting. Black jersey right now, pink jersey by the end of the week. Oh, afternoon, Sean. Good afternoon. No leg warmers. I thought the rule was 25 degrees. No, what's the rule with arm and leg warmers? Well, the rule was 25. <laughs> it's still 20, 22 here. I was saying to Rob, this is the nicest day of the year so far here in England, I think, weather-wise. Well, definitely for me, um, first week of the year was pretty not nice. <laughs> um, second week getting better and now it's looking good for the final week and fingers crossed we get the same for Giro I was going to say you're at least dry in the commentary box you two aren't you I mean yeah, yeah that, that keeps you away from the elements but has it meant you've not been able to do much riding while you've been here in Bath uh, no first week as I said a lot of rain um, so I don't do uh, rain when I'm out of Ireland I'm only a sunshine, shun, sunshine cyclist and of course yeah down in Mallorca April for a couple of weeks it's very difficult when you're there for two weeks three weeks 25 26 degrees and when you come back to this horrible weather you need a big motivation to go out been running instead yes I started doing a bit of running I haven't been running since I was here last uh August, September, doing the Volta. Uh, so, yeah, I was trying to get back, but, yeah, two steps forward, one step back. How's the form, though? Well, the form, biking or running? Biking. Biking, it's, uh, it's okay. As I said, I was in Mallorca for a bit, did a, you know, nice sunshine training there, so, yeah, the form was, was quite good finishing that, but, of course, biking, if you miss a uh, week or... 10 days your form goes down very quickly and the older you get you lose it quickly and it's harder to get back let the listeners know how many kilometers a year do you reckon you do these days well do you, do you keep note i'm old style i'm like Boca Malema. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so i don't uh, i just go out and ride for uh, x number of hours um, and then yeah roughly i know how many kilometers so i'm probably doing six thousand seven thousand per year because i do quite a bit in york i also do a biking tour to roles i started that last year uh, so i was there for three weeks so you know you build up a lot of uh, kilometers and you know doing those events old school so no power meter you're not monitoring any data like that still old school well i have no power meter because i have no power <laughs> <laughs> Oh, well, we'll see, won't we? We'll see. Just quickly, before we get a coffee, Rob, explain why you two are here in Bath. The rest of the Eurosport GCN team are in West London, aren't they? Stockley Park. Yes, the VAR. That's where they do the VAR for the Premier League. Um, it's, a, it's a huge television studio. No, basically, Sean and I had to commentate apart for a couple of years with the pandemic and what have you. I was at home in Spain because there were rules that I, I basically couldn't get in and out of the country for, for a lot of the races. Um, we, we were back together last year for, for Paris-Nice and, and we were all here in Bath actually at the GCN studios and we had such a good time last year being back together again and, and just sort of having the grand tour experience 
Uh, and I think it adds a little bit to our commentary that we can be with each other and see each other, talk about it in the pub afterwards over a pint. And oh, we come like. On, tell the truth, Rob. We, we wanted to get we wanted to get away from the rest. <laughs> <laughs> Don't say that on air. <laughs> um, now we, we're three minutes walk from the studio here, and we didn't fancy catching buses for two hours to get to the studio and things like that in, outside of London, really. And I guess if the weather had been nicer, you'd have been out on the bike a bit more than yeah. perhaps you'd been able to. A little bit more variety to the cycling down here than there is. Well, you'd have been kind of West Londonish. You'd been Richmond Park, I guess, lots of Richmond Park. Mm, perhaps yes, but then again, it would have been really difficult to get in. I mean, where the studio is, it's sort of isolated without too many connections. It's it's not really London. It's sort of the other side of Heathrow. Um, great place to work and everything, but we don't have to be on screen. We're not on screen. We're not part of the thick crew. So we decided that. Um, in work terms we'd be a lot more rested I mean you know what it's like doing a grand tour it's, it's hard work keeping it interesting I'm not pretending that it's a hard job in terms of we're toiling down pit you know at 5am in the morning but we want to do a good job when we're conscientious so you know we save two hours a day by, by being here next to the studio and we can use that for a bit of exercise for a bit of chat about the race and it's a, it's a much nicer experience and we're scared Richmond Park our bikes might get hijacked <laughs> the stories you'll get lapped by the london dynamo if you're there won't you that's the other thing you you won't be able to resist getting on the back of the train and and going round. like i mean i was we were talking last night sean about our giro when we were in paris i came over to spend a few days in paris and your routine was to go and do laps of longchamp the park in the bois de boulogne i mean it got quite competitive down there didn't it yes um it certainly did and um as you know you know, as a bike rider, you like to just ride in a group. When you're riding alone, um, and if you're going around Longchamp, Richmond Park, wherever, doing these laps, it just gets so boring after, you know, a number of laps. You just want to uh, to go to the pub. And uh, when you're in a group, you know, you meet people, you talk, and then you end up doing maybe two hours, two and a half hours. Uh, so yeah, you get a nice training ride in in that way. Um, but uh, yeah, it's. Uh, it's it's nice to um, be able to get out on the bike when we're doing the commentary wherever we are and especially you know when we're not on site anymore it's good for the head because you know in the studio for many hours uh, the bike is amazing it just it just takes that pressure away get out in the evening time afterwards and you feel so much better after doing an hour or two hours on the bike I remember those laps of Longchamp. There were some characters down there, weren't there? Do you remember the guy who wore the pristine Mapai kit and he had the old hairnet helmet, like uh, the leather hairnet helmet, a bit like a bunch of bananas on the top of his head? And he had a very eccentric arm gesture. I don't know what the arm gesture was all about. Was he pointing out obstacles or gesturing for people to come through? He was quite a character, though, wasn't he? I think he'd, he was. He thought he was Tom Bourne and winning races, winning in sprints. <laughs> <laughs> because he had all the kit, but yeah, he was making those gestures with his arms. But I, I see him there. I see him there a number of times. I remember, you know, that uh, ride we did. Uh, we had so much fun just uh, riding behind him, and he was, you know, every time making these gestures. And yeah, you get those characters, and that's what uh, <clears throat> that's what you enjoy as well. You uh, get out there and you know meet those people, and you know you don't even have to have a conversation with them. You see the way they ride and the shapes they're throwing and. You know, <laughs> some of them trying to be uh, like the professionals, and yeah, but yeah, that's that's the great thing about biking. Um, you know, you can you can you can ride with people that yeah, <clears throat> you know, that think they're 
like the professionals and yeah we ride with the group there and you're not recognised so it's great you don't have talk all that bullshit yeah it's true <laughs> it's true though you, there was a real sense that you were dropping into something that was established but you, you weren't familiar with anyone yet it felt comfortable like you were welcome you know no one you know you could just drop in on the wheel drop in with people you very quickly in a day or two became part of that little community of cyclists that must have been you know it, it's been going for decades with the the peloton just gradually evolving new people coming and going coming and going and i suppose that sums up cycling and the fact that we're in a huge city it's the same in richmond park isn't it you know that that sense of everyone doing something that they love a few laps in the evening people could drop in do an hour if they want but like you say there were people that were there doing five six hours some days in the summer yes so they were and uh, you know there were people coming there i got to uh, Got to meet many people that were, you know, amateur riders and, you know, at a very good level and they just come there and they uh, do their couple of hours there in the morning or in the evening time. And, uh, yeah, it's, uh, it's a great rendezvous point. And, um, you know, you're always, you know, you're always welcome there. You just drop into a group and uh, you just follow around and do what you like and do as much as you like. Uh, and the great thing there was, you know, if you join a group maybe of 10 or 12 guys, old guys, and uh, they don't try and drop you. Where if you go to Richmond Park, you go into a group, and they bloody well just start speeding up and sprinting up the hills and try to burn you off the wheel. <laughs> they probably recognise you in Richmond Park, and they know who you are. They no, know who they they're trying to get. No, they don't recognise me. I think they're guys new into, into cycling, and you know they're only here for a, a short number of years, and uh, just, the, just the way they, you know, they don't... They don't have the experience riding in a group and a group of friends or in a club where you ride together and uh, you ride X number of hours. You know, the moment you're on the wheel, they look round and they speed it up and they look round again and then they go faster. And then if they can't drop you, if you're going well enough, the next time you come to Richmond Gate, they just turn off and go home. (laughs) (laughs) Reputations matter for nothing in Richmond Park, I think. Yeah. Well, look, we can't sit here chatting all afternoon. Are we going to have a quick coffee before we go? or Yeah, yeah, let's have a coffee and then talk about where we're going to go. While Sean's getting the coffees, I've always wanted to ask this on the record. The, the, <laughs> you're talking with your natural voice here, not your commentary yes. voice. And it's always intrigued me why you drop your natural voice or you adopt your commentary voice for the commentary. Uh, we're talking to an international audience. Um, and I also think that you know, I should be a bit more uh, easy to understand for everybody. We've got people watching whose native language is English, but they've never been to Lancashire before. We've got people watching whose native language isn't English. We're in quite a unique position, I think, broadcasting we do. It's not just for our market, and I think a lot of people forget about that. Was it a sort of, you know, going back to the beginning of your career, mm. do you think it would have been harder to break in with uh, a regional accent? No, not at all, not at all. Um, where I started is different. Certainly, if you're talking about a traditional path, I think it's actually more of an advantage now. I've been at the BBC and they've asked me to talk more Northern because that apparently is what... <laughs> 
what 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 people like nowadays. Um, I'm not ashamed of it, as you know. I, I love I love talking in dialect with with us a lot, and I even write text in dialect and things like that. Um, even Spanish, I speak in dialect. I speak in Canary Islands dialect, and but again, I think if I'm doing something Spanish, I, I just think it, well, I also think it's polite to try and be understood by everybody, isn't it? Uh, that 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 that's what I believe in anyway. Yeah, you're very fortunate. You've got a real aptitude and skill with languages. How many languages do you speak? Uh, th- properly three and a half. Half English, <laughs> French, Spanish, and Italian. Uh, but then, I mean, I live in the, the Balearic Islands now, so I understand a bit of Catalan. I get by in that. Uh, the Latin language, I think, once you speak two or three, you know, I can read Portuguese, a bit of Romanian, things like that. But I wouldn't say that I speak them. It's a big advantage in a sport of cycling. I certainly notice it as I get older. I've been trying to pick up, uh, trying to improve my French and trying to pick up a bit of Italian uh, on the quiet. But it's a huge advantage, isn't it, when you can speak the language of the sport, you know, Italian, Spanish, French. He's bought some baklava back. That's a language I, I really, I almost went to university to learn Turkish. There we go. Um, probably because of looking at things like baklava and the great food. Look at that. That's wonderful, isn't it? All them calories in there. Talking languages, Sean, how many languages do you speak? Well, I suppose French I could claim I can speak, and uh, Flemish understand quite a lot, but have more difficulty now. When you're away and you're not practising and you know, in conversation with people all the time, you just slowly lose it. And... Uh, Spanish when I was right with Cass, you know, all the team personnel, 70%, 60% of the riders were Spanish, so I had a pretty good uh, uh, hold on Spanish and you know, was able to struggle through interviews uh, with radio on that, but now I've lost so much of it. And what about the commentary? Uh, how many years have you been doing this job as uh, the co-commentator? Because you started out with Eurosport with David Duffield, the late great David Duffield, didn't you? Yes, I did. And um, when I retired in '94, I remember Duffield. He came over to my retirement event, and immediately he was uh, talking about coming to do some commentary on the classics. And I said, oh, "No, I said I want to get away from cycling for a while. Um, you know, I just want to get my head cleared." And so I took a, uh, a number of years out. And 98 was the first time I did some commentary in Dublin when the Tour of France started. And then uh, I went on from there. I did some classic races and um, yeah, started doing first tours were uh, a week. And then I started doing a full tour. And then yeah, ever since I've been the tour. And yeah, so I have for 23 years Tour of France commentary if my maths are right, 23 or 24, and then, yeah, X number of Giros and Vueltas. So, yeah, I think it's knocking on the door to retirement. Ooh. <laughs> you obviously enjoy it, though. You you know, the, the, I know you're not on the road with this race, but you've been on the road with the Tour in the past. Um, just the, sort of the sense of the journey of the Grand Tour. You obviously enjoy being in the commentary box, adding a bit of colour, adding, trying to explain what's going on in the race. Yeah, I enjoy it a lot, and um, I don't think if uh, if you weren't enjoying it, you just couldn't do it. And I certainly, if I wasn't enjoying it, I wouldn't be able to uh, continue on doing it. Um, not being on site, of course, yeah, I miss a bit. Uh, I think for me, the tour was the one because you know there's so much with the tour, and 
you meet all the ex-pros that I rode with and you, you, know, you meet so many of those guys and that is the great thing about the Tour of France. But, I mean, famously, Sean, you didn't ride the Giro until the very end of your career when you started it once. Is that right? Have I mem- remembered that right? Yes, with Festina. Um, it wasn't on my uh, programme at the beginning of the year, but as uh, the season started out, it was um, the organiser said if I wasn't riding with the team taking the start, they would not take the team. So um, Miguel Moreno, the director of sport, he said you have to go to the tour for the first week and then you can leave and end of the first week. Then he said, oh, yeah, do another bit. And I think I ended up doing about 11 or 12 days. I mean, Jean de Gribaldi, this is the other one that I remember, he was your sports director in the 80s he was very keen for you to do all three Grand Tours in a season wasn't he and back then of course the Vuelta was in the springtime followed very quickly by the Giro and then the Tour de France and you had a novel way of getting out of that because he announced it in the press didn't he one year I think 1985 he announced it yes he announced uh, a few things (laughs) Um, John de Gabaldi of course as I have said many times he was a big part of my successful career uh, he had you know some really great m- ways and methods of training and diet and and uh, but he had some also bad ones <laughs> like doing the pre-grand tours which you know he was uh, talking a lot to me about it and uh, yeah I eventually yeah, pulled a sickie somewhere or a, a bad knee or something Bordeaux Paris was another one he tried that for many years and I was, you know, always scared of Bordeaux Paris that you'd be going to be, you know, totally uh, wrecked and, you know, just burned out for a number of weeks and maybe a number of months. And he said, no, no, he said, it's, it's good for you. It just deblocks the whole body. And so every time I used to get just a sore knee coming before the uh, Bordeaux Paris. <laughs> 600 kilometres Bordeaux Paris, wasn't it? With uh, a big chunk of it behind motorbikes. Um, that right? Have I got that right? The, but yeah, a long day. I mean, 18 hours I think it generally would take for the winner. Yeah, they used to start I think uh, very late at night maybe 10 or 12 o'clock at night, Saturday night uh, and ride through the night and then finish uh, uh, you know, in the uh, afternoon and uh, yeah there was, I think, at least 50% or 60% was uh, ridden just in the group and um, then you get behind the journey so the final uh, was a 200 or 250 or 300 kilometres uh, uh, you know it was just unthinkable when you uh, torture and uh, yeah so yeah you can understand why I was never in favour of riding it because when you do yeah the early season and uh, you know do all the races and yeah it's, it was the one that I just couldn't could not get my mind around it, ever taking part and being Sean Kelly you couldn't start that one and then stop you know, halfway and say, "Oh no, I've not, I'm not going any further." You'd have to, you'd be kind of obliged to finish it, I guess. Well, the problem is, if you stop, if you go there and you stop after 100k or 150 kilometres, then you just sit in the team car or uh, the, the the helpers car for the rest of the night and uh, oh, until you get to Paris. So it's not a nice one either. So uh, the best thing is just get a sore knee beforehand. <laughs> 
<laughs> Where are we riding though? Where, what, what's the plan? Weather's beautiful, so we've got all afternoon. What are we going to do? Well, we're going to go out the uh, old railway line to Bristol, which is uh, very safe. You don't have you know all these cars chopping you up and blowing at you. It's uh, it's very you know very relaxed and it's you know very chilling out. Scenery's great as well because um, I really don't know this part of England. I mean, it's all down south to me down here. Uh, I just thought it was, you know, this little posh village and un- it, well, village city. It's a city officially. It's a small town, really, isn't it? Bath. Um, very, very pleasant. But once you're out, you're very quickly out of town, aren't you? On that old railway line, and you've got a few hills around. And I didn't even realise this part of the country was that hilly either. Uh, you know, there's, they're not gigantic hills, but they're short, sharp, steep, classic-y type hills, aren't they? And we've got, you know, the, the river to look at, some nice country pubs that we might or might not stop at sometimes in the evening. Is this the time to mention that I've got a bit of a sore knee? I don't know, I mean, just uh, a bit well, of a... We're bit staying of... <laughs> on the flat, don't worry, don't worry. This is more of a Skelda place than uh, the Ronde van Vlaanderen today. The Cycling Podcast is supported by Science in Sport. Science in Sport. Fueled by science. Who's leading the way? Sean leading the way? Yes, I will lead out. Here we go. Off we go. Nice short stage. Rolling out after 1 p.m. Small section of cobbles. Oh, glorious. Absolutely glorious. And we'll roll out of Bath and pick up this railway line. We headed from Bath, famous for its spas, its Georgian architecture and tea rooms, to Bristol, which is one of England's burgeoning cities for artists and musicians. The street artist and activist Banksy is supposedly from Bristol, and even if he isn't, his work and his influence is everywhere. Bristol also gave the world trip hop. Massive Attack and Tricky are from the city, and Portishead are from, well, from Portishead, which is only a few miles along the coast. Once we reached Bristol, we had a choice to make, and I certainly didn't imagine that my career in cycling journalism would one day take me to the scene of one of Britain's most celebrated comedy programmes with a double Paris-Roubaix winner. But here we are. Well, I feel like you need to know the course coming into Bristol there. Very twisty, turny, bit of road furniture. You two had the advantage there. Old Kelly on the front, whizzing round the corners with his bell. Give us, give us a tinkle on the bell. Very wise. Very He's got wise. about 25 of those at home because every time he comes, if he gets to bring one and then goes to buy one at the shop. 
keeping keeping the Bath bicycle bell industry yes. in uh, business. Um, I was thinking coming into Bristol, what a contrast with Bath it is. I think they're two great cities, great cities. I think I really like Bristol. I think it's fantastic. We stopped here for uh, a night on the way back from a holiday in Devon last mm. year. Uh, but I was looking out for the tower block, the famous tower block. Nelson Mandela House. Apparently it's next to the football stadium. And I'd like to come out one day and properly plan it and have a look and have my picture taken there or something like that just because there's a guy I used to work with in cycling in Belgium who's the biggest Only Fools and Horses fan you'll ever see he's a Flemish guy because they, they get the BBC over there and that's, that's why there's an impeccable levels of English usually up there and, and every time he sees me he's one of the sort of uh, he sort of signs off all the deal on satellites and things like that he's always hanging around the the TV compound of Flanders Classics races he's Kushti, Kushti he's always doing a Delboy impression Bonnet de douche. Yes. I mean, bonnet de douche sounds like some kind of cycling phrase, doesn't it? You know. But <laughs> well, uh, they had bonnet de douches on the other day, didn't they? On top of their helmets to stop it raining. <laughs> For those who are wondering what on earth we're going on about, <laughs> listeners in America, perhaps, Only Fools and Horses, one of the greatest sitcoms ever made anywhere, I would say. A brilliant sitcom about the trotters who live in... Peckham. Peckham in south-east London. But the Nelson Mandela House, the tower block where they lived... The exteriors were shot here in Bristol, yeah. weren't they? And I think, I think you're right, it's down by Ashton Gate, the yes, football ground. Yes. Bristol City's football ground, I think. Big Only Fools and Horses fan, Sean? No, not a big fan. But I'd like to go and see the block. Are we far away? We'll have a look on Google Maps, shall we? We're here, we might, we as, might well. as well. Yeah, look, we yeah. might as well. Let's it can't Google. be far, can it? Google I'll Google it. it. Do you know something about the Only Fools and Horses theme music? Something unique about it? Not Maybe not unique, but notable? No, I know the person that did the graphics used to work with us in the telly somewhere. That's the one. The, the, the final graphics he used to be a producer on the, some of the volleyball shows. But no, tell me something about well, the music. Well, the opening title music and the closing title music are basically different songs. Uh, they are, yes, they are. They are. They are. No income tax, no V8, no money back, no guarantee. Black or white, rich or I once had a long-running argument with a very good friend of mine called Simon Ricketts about this. He refused to believe. This was before, like, <laughs> you could get facts at your fingertips before on your you phone. Before you could go on St. Google. Yeah, it was, it was a, a pub-based argument. And I said, no, the, the tunes are different. And we got into a situation where I was singing the two different tunes and then he would sing one, but then morph it into the other one and claim that it was the same tune. This argument went on for weeks well, and we weeks. Both wrong. I mean... Well, that's where you're yes. always wrong. <laughs> you're always wrong when you're drunk. That's Here we go. Here we go. St. Google, St. Google tells us that we are 16 minutes away by bike. Oh, we three miles. That's not far, is it? Five k. We can do that. Shall we do it? Yes, yes do yeah, it. Come on. Oh, a picture of us outside. No there. money back, no guarantee. This is us. Let's <laughs> What's the cycling equivalent of a Trevor Francis tracksuit? <laughs> um, uh, um, what a top sport Vlander. Um, large jersey. The ones that went out of fashion about ten years ago when everything went aero. No. Or, or one of those old helmets that you used to wear that didn't really have much protection on. Yeah. 
The pudding helmet. <laughs> the pudding <laughs> helmet. The pudding helmet. The one that, is this the Milan San Remo one one? The one you had to put on? No, that was a modern one. That was a modern one, was yes. it? San Remo. Brancali. Oh, that's yeah. right, yeah. The Brancali piss pot, the Belgians call it. <laughs> Seriously? <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> What's the Flemish for that? The piss pot. The piss pot, eh? Yeah. <laughs> oh, brilliant. That's one of my favourite stories. This was the Milan San Remo you won with Festina, wasn't it? And you had a helmet sponsorship deal, and you went back to the car and wore the helmet for the last, what, I don't know, 50k or something, is that right? Yes, about the, uh, the final 40, 50k, before we got to the the capa, the capos, and um, yeah, a lot of people said, oh, Kelly had a big bonus if he could win with the helmet, but there was no bonus. It was just that I was feeling pretty good in Torino Atletico, so I said for the descent, yeah, depending on what's happened here and where I am, I'll take all risk, and yeah. I was happy I had it when I when I went skeltering down that descent. Because this was only a year after the whole peloton had gone on strike at Paris Nice, wasn't it? Over the the mandatory in, introduction of the mandatory helmet rule that the UCI was bringing in in '91, and uh, I don't I think you'd crashed out already in Paris Nice, but the riders went on strike. There was a lot of debate about whether the helmet should be you know mandatory or whether it should be just up to the rider to decide, wasn't there? Around that time. Yes, that's right. I was uh, out of Paris Nice. There had been the, the rule there where you could throw your helmet off if it was a mountain top finish, all of that crazy ideas. And then, of course, yeah, they wanted to enforce that you had to wear the helmet you know, from, from start to finish in the race. And then there was that strike in Paris Nice. So it was yeah, pretty, um, pretty uh, close uh, after that that I was using the helmet. But, of course, yeah... We were led to believe the helmets were safer than the ones we were using, the uh, the Sausage helmet. So that was the reason I was putting it on. It was, it was you know, thinking about safety and yeah, I think I was ready to take all risks at that time, but it was my last throw of the dice in a big classic. What did you think of Van der Poel's descent this year? That was pretty impressive, wasn't it? Yes, very impressive. And uh, yeah, to be nice to see the times, I haven't really uh, went into that, but... I think now, of course, with the bikes and the brakes and all of that, uh, the bigger tyres, I think, much better grip. And, uh, yeah, the signs has to be faster. But it would be interesting to see what the difference would be. Well, let's go and uh, go and see if we can see Del Boy and Rodney. And Grandad. You were in the water? No, that's Uncle Albert. Is it? Yeah. Yeah. comes from it's a mystery lineup i never thought my career would culminate in taking a picture of sean kelly outside nelson mandela house from only fools and horses it's actually whitemead house a stone's throw from ashton gate football club uh, football ground which is home of bristol city and there we are That's made me dare, that. yeah me too we need a picture of us only fools and horses outside uh, who's going to be who del rodney Uncle Albert. Some great characters. Great characters. Anyway, Sean, tell me about uh, 
your comment about my socks over leg warmers on the way down. In terms of etiquette, is this a big no-no? Uh, no, it's not, because I do it myself when I wear leg warmers. There we go. We're in the club. Every time I post a picture of myself with my socks outside my leg warmers, I get a comment. It's as regular as clockwork. You can get comments to the way, though, as well. It's just one of those things, isn't it, in life? Yeah. That and putting your bike upside down if you take your wheel out, resting it on the, the saddle and the, the brake hoods upside down. Yes. Is that... That's an Yes. Oh, yes. Uh, why? <laughs> because it's not good for your saddle clutching for an answer there even <laughs> even Sean Kelly can't answer that one I, I I must admit I've done that and I always I'm in a quandary if you do your back wheel you don't want to rest all your rear mech and everything on the floor do you no but you lay your bike down on the opposite side to the uh, rear mech um, and also to get the wheel in it's it's much more difficult to get the wheel when the bike is turned upside down so when you have the when you have the bike the normal way like we see in the Tour de France the bike is, you know, they don't turn up the bike upside down. Yeah, but they're not changing their own tyres or wheels, are they? No, but it must be the, the best way to do it. If the pros are doing it, we have to do like the pros. <laughs> there we are. There we are. Well, quick picture then outside Nelson Mandela House slash Whitemead House and then uh, back across the city. Yeah, that wind's blowing. That wind's blowing. Let's hope it's a tailwind arm, shall we? Sorry, what was that, Sean? <laughs> what was that? Well, Robert saying is... Uh, wind blowing I said yeah it's going to be a tailwind he doesn't know because he's been sitting on since we left Bath <laughs> allegations that's shocking allegations really I mean if the little percentage graphic was on the screen it would I don't know what it would show if they had me whoop data up it'd be showing I'd be up to 21 I'd be on the stress scale I was going to say yeah we the, the Bristol Bath cycle path or the Bristol Bath cycle path depending on where you're from listen you don't catch well I was going to give the Bury and Berry answer there so you're wrong it's a day off give me a rest um, <laughs> it, it's Bath innit ah ah. you don't say R when you're learning your vowels there's no R in Bath is there no oh, you're right oh, wrong again wrong again you know it's like it's like the old Bury Berry thing you don't catch a bez do you catch a buzz <laughs> Like a should dialect. How are we going to find our way back to the cycle path? I know the way. Follow me. How? How? Are you, have you got some? Are you like a homing pigeon? You know, just know where we're going. Yes, I know where I'm going. Just years of riding. Never got lost on a training ride. Yeah, you get lost, but you know, back in my, back in my time. Back in my day, <laughs> when we used to go out for you know uh, training rides before races, we had none of this, you know, modern technology. So we had to just find our way. So when you ride out, you always keep your eye where you're going. So, I think I know. Well, we'll put that to the test now, shall we? Let's do Excellent. It. Come on, GPS. <laughs> so, you reckon left? 
I'd say so. I thought there were some uh, buildings that we'd seen already. However, I've already been one wrong. I've already been wrong once. Sean, you reckon it's straight on? Yes, straight on. The last time I was here, 25 years ago, in the Tour of Britain, <laughs> uh, a lot more one-way streets, so I'm, I'm a little bit lost now. I think it's right. I think it's up there and right. What because does I'm, the hammerhead say? Well, that's it, you see. Yeah. It, it, do you see where we go? Where we, the, that's where we exactly come down. what I was thinking. Yeah, it's up there and right. Yeah, so it's definitely left. not left then. Oh, well. Hammerhead wins. No, yeah, it does, I'm afraid. It does. There we go. There we go. Which way is it, Sean? This way. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I recognise it. I'll never date you again. Brilliant. He's come up trumps there pretty well. Not bad. That's magic, isn't it? It's like a six tenths Yeah. Incredible. Shoot, uh, shoot at l'arrière du peloton, cycling podcast team car at the back of the pack, please. That said, PK, the voice of Radio Tour, to remind me to tell you that this episode of Explore is sponsored by the Hammerhead Carew 2 cycle computer, which is the most advanced GPS cycling computer available today. All of our listeners out there can get a free heart rate monitor with the purchase of a Hammerhead Carew 2. Visit hammerhead.io and use the promo code CYCLE at checkout to get yours today. Now, one of the best things about the Carew 2, I think, is the climber feature, which we didn't really need on the Bristol to Bath railway path because it was pretty much entirely flat. But the climber feature really comes into its own, especially when riding on less familiar roads, because it tells you how far there is to the top of the climb, what the gradient is on the way, and then, once you've reached the top, how far it is to the next climb. Now, I find that sort of data really encouraging, because all of a sudden, 400 metres or 500 metres doesn't feel like an awfully long way. And you can see, well, I'm over the worst of it. It was 8.9% just back there. The maximum between here and the top is only 4.5%. I can handle that. Somehow it gives me that little bit of information that helps me to measure my effort. The other great thing about it is the mapping and the touch screen, which is really responsive. And as you heard on our ride, the mapping came into its own because after our little detour down to the building that served as the exterior tower block in the sitcom Only Fools and Horses, we had to find our way back to the railway path across the city now sean was very confident he thought he could find it just by following his nose as if he's some kind of homing pigeon rob didn't have a cycle computer so it was down to me to just uh, well let things unfold and see how it went and it was quite amusing because at one point rob thought we needed to go one way sean thought we needed to go another way and me and the hammerhead well we knew the way because i was just following the line back the way we'd come and so the hammerhead found us got us all the way back to the start of the cycle path and uh, well it came in very handy if you'd like to give the Carew 2 a go and you want the heart rate monitor that comes with it as well go to hammerhead.io use the promo code cycle what you do is add both items to your cart enter the promo code cycle and you'll get the heart rate monitor for free with the purchase of the Carew 2 
uphill into a headwind. Oh. Out of the saddle, Rob Hatch making his move. Kelly just sits waiting. I think I'll leave the commentary to you, Rob. Arms aloft. And the Avocet of Accrington has taken the points at the top of the climb. Oh, glasses back on. Bet you wish you had leg warmers on now, boys. What has cycling given you? Friendship. I'm sitting here with you two now that I'm sure we wouldn't have met otherwise. Um, a lot of confidence that I probably didn't have. I've never been a particularly confident person. Um, it's helped me, you know, I was already broadcasting, but I guess it's helped me find the place in broadcasting that I could concentrate on because I was doing a lot of different things. But most importantly, I love travel anywhere. I was lucky enough to try and travel anywhere in languages, but it's taken me to towns and villages that I would never, ever, ever have even thought about visiting. And not just the nice ones, but even the not-so-nice ones, just places and experiences that I've had. And, you know, uh, even here, I would have come to Bath, really, if I hadn't been for work or places we've gone on a tour in the genome, places like that. So, yeah, I would say friendship, travel. Yeah, I was going to say the same thing, really, because the Grand Tours, that sense of journey takes you to all sorts of places like you say that you wouldn't necessarily have visited and I regret in the early years not keeping a good enough log of where I stayed and what you know what I saw you know when I was in my early 20s just starting out I kind of just didn't really think that by the time you're in your late 40s those things might be important and there's little towns and villages in the tour that were on the tour route that I can't remember where they were I've got a rough idea of where do we stay that particular day I've asked the people I've travelled with and they haven't got a record of it I know there are riders who have kept meticulous records of every hotel they've stayed in or um, just sort of building up a, a list of places to visit when they retire in slightly different circumstances have you, did, were you like that Sean? did you take it all in when you were racing around Europe or was it was it just one place to the next place no, took very little in, and uh, it was stage nine, going from A to B. <laughs> and, uh, you know, that is the difference when you're a rider and when you're working for TV. You see so much of, yeah, the country. If it's a Tour of France or whatever tour you're in, uh, the towns you go to, you know, you see more of the town because you get out in the evening time. But when you're a rider, like, you're like a racehorse, you have blinkers on. And you just get on the road and, yeah, you finish your day, your stage, and you get into the car, now it's getting to the bus, and, you know, you you, uh, you just go to your hotel. But um, I think uh, the modern day rider, they're probably, uh, you know, taking more of an interest where they're travelling and that, but 
uh, in my day, I wasn't one, and there was a lot of other riders as well. I think it was, you know, the same same way of thinking. And but uh, yeah, totally different from bike rider to travelling around, you know, doing the TV work. It's a it's a different it's a totally different Tour of France in that respect. I mean, without the Bath Bristol Bath Classic, which we've just invented, you wouldn't have seen you wouldn't have seen Nelson Mandela House, Sean. I mean, that's what cycling's given you. Yes, well, that's uh, it's further down the list, unfortunately. <laughs> but yeah, it's still it's you know these little things are yeah nice to nice to go and see and uh, yeah it's uh, that's as I said it just cycling it brings you so much and I suppose it's a sport as well because it's outdoors and it's you know all over France if you're doing you know other sports you're in a stadium maybe and you just go to one city like a Tour of France when you travel around with the race which we were doing for many years like you know you just go to so many you know towns and villages and you drive the route and you see you know the last 50k and you see all of those villages it's you know it's an amazing journey what did you think of my idea of riding around Ireland next year? Do you want to join for a stage or two? Well, uh, when you're there, and uh, we'll have a look at the forecast, the long-range forecast, I mean, the long-range forecast is about three days maximum in Ireland <laughs> because any more they can't forecast it. And even in three days they get <laughs> wrong. <laughs> so, yeah, ring me the night before and I'll see what it's looking like and I might join if the weather is splitting the stones any parts of Ireland you'd particularly recommend well there's great parts in Ireland you know the west down the west coast um, it's just it's just beautiful when you get nice weather but when you get wet windy weather it's a big shit of a place <laughs> <laughs> and uh, am I is it is today your actual birthday or are we staying tight-lipped on that? Yesterday. Yesterday. Oh, well, che- yes, happy birthday yesterday. for yesterday. Yesterday was the official. Oh, well, happy birthday. But in sure. cycling, of course, the 24th, that's what's... He's the king. He's got an official birthday and his own birthday. <laughs> This has been an episode of Explore by The Cycling Podcast. It was recorded by me, Lionel Burney, and was produced by Adam Bowie.